0: Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Morning at Tri-Cities. Honored to be with you this morning. I want to go ahead and invite you to open your Bibles and find your place in Matthew chapter 16. is where we're going to land in just a few minutes. And I just have to say I was over here listening to those songs, singing along with you. And no power of hell, no scheme of man just thinking as we're gathered here in East Tennessee celebrating the reality of the resurrection it occurred to me that this morning millions of Jesus followers all over the world woke up holding on to the hope of the resurrection in places like Ukraine, places like North Korea where it may literally cost them their lives to follow Jesus. Places is like Uganda where they're gathered out under a tree. They don't need a building. It doesn't matter. But the point is they're holding on to the hope of the resurrection. And man, I, I pray this morning that would never grow cold on us. Death is a defeated enemy. Jesus is alive. Our future is set for those who believe and trust in him. And can we again this morning just celebrate and praise the reality that the tomb is empty he is not here, he is risen. Can we praise the Lord for that this morning? So we're going to walk through Matthew chapter 16 around verse 13 in just a minute. If you're a guest and you're visiting with us, I want to let you know we're normally walking through first Peter verse by verse. We walk through books of the Bible, but we've taken a little detour this morning through first Peter. We'll jump or in Matthew We'll jump back in 1 Peter next week. Love for you to join us if you're a guest. Again, honored that you're here this morning. Before we jump in, I want to kind of set the stage of what we're about to read in Matthew 16 this way. And here's a reality. Right questions at the right time are powerful tools. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. The, The right question posed at the right time can be an incredibly powerful tool if you're a parent you probably learned that early on with your kids the rightly timed questions in the lives of our children can reveal a whole lot we have learned to ask questions like uh do you know who is responsible for this mess Or, or something like that with our kids and as our kids get older we ask questions like what in the world were you thinking when you did that there's questions parents ask and I learned this week I did a little research as, as parents attempt to be strategic with questions kids come back at parents with just the number of questions I learned this week I looked it up that the average child will ask on an average day 73 questions That's pretty cool. That's that's a learning process. That's neat. Except when you're the parent and you're receiving all those questions. And by the way, that's only if you have one child. You have five of them like us. You multiply that times five. That's a lot of questions. But a rightly timed question in the right way is a powerful thing. Jesus was a master of asking the right question at the right time. In fact, as you walk through the New Testament and you study the Gospels, you'll find out that we have recorded in our Bible over 300 questions that Jesus asks. The right question at the right time. He he asks questions in an evangelistic way. He asks questions like this. He would say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What a question. He asked questions in discipleship like this he he said can you by worrying add a single day to your life what a challenging question Jesus was a master of asking the right question at the right time he's going to do that right here in Matthew chapter 16 with two incredibly important vital questions and I'll just add absolutely eternally significant questions that he's going to ask the disciples. So we're going to journey along with them. They have left Caesarea, which was kind of home base for Jesus and his disciples. They, they've walked 25 miles north to an area called Caesarea Philippi. And we pick up the story there. And Jesus is going to have this exchange with his disciples. So I'm going to read this. I'll give you a big truth and then a few big ideas that will flow out of this in just a second. So Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, here it is, he asked his disciples, question number one, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus, in a way, is is basically saying, what is the common thought of the day? What are the common ideas of the day about what people are saying about my identity, about who I am? He uses the phrase here, son of man. That's a messianic title he uses to refer to himself. His favorite favorite referral to himself is the son of man. He says, who do people say that the son of man is? They come back, verse 14, and they say, Well, some have said that you're John the Baptist. Others are saying Elijah. Some are saying Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus continues and he turns it up a notch with his disciples. He said, Okay, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And let me just say something really quick this morning. If you're a guest or whatever the case is this morning, I want you to know that that might be the most important question that you'll ever be asked in your life is who is Jesus Christ? Jesus says, who do you, speaking to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter replied, verse 16, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Jesus comes back in verse 17 and says, Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon of Barjona, Simon son of John. You're blessed. But you didn't come up with that answer on your own, Simon. In fact, Jesus goes on and he says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock of this confession that you've just declared on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades shall not prevail against it i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven and in verse 20 jesus says something very peculiar we'll talk about this in a minute he says to them then he strictly charged his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ why in the world would Jesus say to them now, don't go tell anyone that I am the Messiah we'll talk about that in just a minute so here's your big truth that carries through this passage this morning it says that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God now we're gonna have some big ideas that flow out of this but let's walk through these verses just for a couple minutes this morning I'm gonna give you some big ideas let's look at these two vital eternally significant questions that Jesus asked here go back to verse 13 now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi stop right there there are no unimportant details in the Bible by the way so the location that Jesus asked this question is really significant Caesarea Philippi was a place in the northern part of Israel it was a place of worship it had been a place of worship in the Old Testament the the prophets of Baal they would carry on their false worship there The Greeks carried out worship there. They would worship their false god, Pan. Philip the Tetrarch had recently renamed the name of the area for his own worship. He renamed it, Philip renamed it to Caesarea Philippi because he he believed he was deserving of worship. So in this place of all these mixed messages about who is worthy of worship and what worship is to look like jesus says to his disciples who do people say that i am even more importantly who do you say that i am with all these false ideas about out there about who is worthy of our worship who do you say that i am they come back to him in verse 14 and he again, ask that question, and they give him really three different categories of answers. These are very important for us this morning. So his disciples come back and they say, well, Jesus, out there, there's there's kind of these different thoughts and ideas about what people are saying about who you are and your identity. Verse 14, some, Jesus, are saying that you're John the Baptist. Now, you you read that and you go, I I don't even know what that means. What, What do you mean John the Baptist? And who would say that? Why would they say that? Well, there were some who fit into the category, and I call it, that they were slightly superstitious and they were basing their understanding of who Jesus was on their personal experience. See, the one in the Bible, in the New Testament that we have, that's an example of of really thinking this Jesus, I'm not sure who he is, I, I think he's John the Baptist, was a man named Herod. Now I won't go back, we won't take time to read that, but Herod was the king during that time when John the Baptist was alive and Herod was so inflamed by John the Baptist, he he had him murdered, had him beheaded. And then his conscience was so heavy about what happened, Herod was convinced that when this Jesus came and all this power and all this teaching, all this preaching, he said, in this superstitious way, that must be john the baptist come back to haunt me some way so it was this kind of superstitious kind of based on personal experience idea of who jesus is now i want you to listen to me your personal experience will never lead to the fullness of who jesus is the reason jesus is asking this question here and the reason it's so pertinent for us today same then same today you and I live in a sea of false information about the true identity of who Jesus is that was a good spot for an amen by the way they live in a sea of misinformation and wrong information about who Jesus is and they didn't even have Facebook back then by the way Jesus says who do people say that I am some say you're John the Baptist some say you're Elijah Elijah was that prophet of old who fought the prophets of Baal. Remember, he called down fire from heaven, and he was defending Israel against the prophets of Baal, and he he was this powerful prophet, and some say he must be Elijah. That's this kind of nationalistic expectation, human opinion of who Jesus is. He's going to come, he's going to wipe out all the enemies, he's going to restore Israel, which one day he will, but at this point, that's not the reality. This was much, much less than who Jesus really was. So much more than just that. And then there's this other category that I think many of us might be tempted to fall into. They say, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They don't really know. This is this view. It's a slightly scriptural view. (laughs) It's the folks that know just a little truth. They know just enough to be dangerous. They've heard a little truth here, a little truth there. It might be Elijah. It might be one of the prophets. We don't really know. Just enough truth to be dangerous. Problem with all of these views is that none of these views even come close to who Jesus is in all of his glory and all of his fullness here's big idea number one is this human opinion never leads us to the truth about Jesus so you just need to know if you're if you're trusting the sources of modern culture and you're trusting some internet stream or, or try to figure out who Jesus is Human opinion will always think less of Jesus than who he truly is. Human opinion will never lead us to the truth about Jesus. Personal experience, my own expectation, nor a smattering of misapplied scripture will ever fully reveal who Jesus is in all of his glory. Now, I went to a source to kind of defend this. I I, I found the source, Newsweek. Here's what Newsweek says about the opinions today of Jesus. Newsweek reports that 52% of Americans believe that Jesus was a really good teacher, but no way was he God. They're dead wrong newsweek also reports that over half of americans believe that jesus was a human who walked the earth but he was just like us and committed sins just like every other person wrong the bible holds out the sinless perfect savior was tempted in all things like we are yet without sin here's a statistic that really surprised me a little bit it said 78 percent of respondents believe that jesus was the first and greatest being created by God the Father. That's just a heresy. Jesus as God has always been God. He was not created and all of these statistics support the idea human opinion will always come to a conclusion about Jesus much less than who he truly is. So Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that i am what's the chatter out there every one of the examples they share is much much less than who jesus is in all of his glory so he comes back verse 15 question number two all right guys if that's what's being said out in culture and it's just dead raw who, who do you say that i am Now, this is a pivotal moment for the disciples. Here they are, Jesus is saying, all right, guys, who do you say that the Son of Man is? Verse 16, of all the disciples, kind of the leader, Peter steps up and says, now, side note, any time in your Bible you come to like verse 16 and the Bible says, Simon Peter replied, you get a little nervous, right? Peter has a reputation of just kind of missing it verbally, you know, foot and mouth disease. Sixteen, Simon Peter replied, and he nails it, says, you are the Christ. He says, you are, and if you mark in your Bible, the Son of the living God. Not a, the distinct, only one Son of the living God. Peter nails it. And again, just look at this verse 16 and these descriptions of what Peter says. Peter is speaking for the group. He rises above the opinions of the day. Peter speaks divine truth, and he says, Jesus, I believe you to be the Christ, the Messiah. I know you know this, but just for clarity's sake, Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ. It's a title it's a messianic distinction of the fullness of who he is peter is saying you are the christ you are the messiah you are the promised one peter's a jew peter's speaking to jews and jews are around and they're saying you are the promised one who all of the prophets and all of the prophecies and all of the predictions for thousands of years have said The promised one is coming and Peter says you are the one and let me just tell you if you're a Jew standing around and you hear Peter say that you're either jumping in in full agreement with him or you're pushing back and say hold on Peter do you know what you're saying because Peter was saying the one promised to our forefather Abraham back in Genesis 12 of the one who would come as a descendant of Abraham and be a blessing to the entire world, Peter is saying, that promised one, you're him. Peter is thinking in his mind, this Messiah, this promised one in Exodus, you know the picture of God's people coming out of Egypt, being delivered by God from the bondage of slavery. And there's one of the plagues, the, the death angel is going to come through Egypt. And God said, God said, your answer to the death angels to take a lamb Kill that lamb, take its blood, paint it over the doorpost of your house. And when the death angel passes through, if he sees the blood of the lamb, he will pass over and you will not incur the judgment. And it was a picture of the lamb of God who was going to come and take away the sins of the world. And Peter says, you are the one. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one. He's saying, you're the one who was promised to David that to King David, a descendant from him, would reign on the throne of Israel forever and ever and establish his kingdom forever and ever. And there's a lot Peter here doesn't understand, but he is saying, I believe you to be the promised one, the promised king of Israel. You are the promised descendant of Abraham. You are the Messiah. Incredible. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, you are the son of the living God. Not a son of the living God is a it's a combining of the Old Testament name for God of Yahweh in the Old Testament and he saying, you Jesus you are come forth from the living God and you are God of very God yourself it's an amazing reality here and let's be fair there's a lot Peter doesn't fully understand it's like us he's continuing to grow but it seems here is what Peter does understand about the identity of Jesus you are the promised one you will redeem your people from the slavery of sin you're sent from the living God you are God yourself there is no other and he makes this incredible confession from his heart not just an academic position about who Jesus is this is a transformed heart and Jesus comes back and says you got it Peter blessed are you Peter But before you get too confident in your own ability, Peter, Jesus comes back in verse 17 and he says, Blessed are you, Simon of Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father who is in heaven. Now I want you to get this. This is huge. Jesus is saying, you declared my true identity, but you didn't figure it out on your own wits. You didn't wake up one morning smarter than the next guy and say, oh, I think I figured out who Jesus is. It didn't work that way. Jesus declares here in verse 17, I'll give you your second big idea, it's this. God the Father graciously reveals the truth about Jesus. says, Peter, what you've just declared is a demonstration of grace. The scales have fallen from your eyes. You have believed, but you have been empowered and enabled to believe by the gracious favor of God the Father. The word blessed here is the idea, we use this word throughout the New Testament. Jesus says, you're blessed, Peter. Now that's not East Tennessee for, bless your heart, Peter, you're such a good fellow, just bless your heart. That's not what he's saying. The word blessed as it's used throughout the New Testament is a description of those who have received divine grace in the Beatitudes Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God blessed is a position of a recipient of divine grace who is right with God and right with the kingdom of God because of the grace of God they've received divine favor and responded in faith and repentance This, this is a glorious thing I want you to get this this morning Jesus is declaring a reality that ought to cause us to rejoice and shout to the top of our lungs. If you are here and you are a follower of Christ and you have given him your life, it is a result of the initiated, undeserved, divine favor of God. Because Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Peter, you're not a follower because you're smarter than the next guy. You are a recipient of divine favor from the Father. You have been enabled to believe, and you have responded to this realization of who Jesus Christ is, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So Jesus continues here, and I want to so, okay what what do we do with this he, he continues this conversation with the disciples and I want you to lock in with me here for just a few minutes so he's he said guys you're never gonna come to a realization of who Jesus is of who I am by human opinion it, it is the gracious work of the Father to reveal and open your eyes to see who I am and then he continues on verse 18 and he says and I tell you Peter that on this rock, I will build my church. What rock? There's been tons of misinterpretation of what this verse means. In fact, an entire false religions have built upon the idea that Peter and the integrity and the greatness of Peter or what the church is built upon. What Jesus is saying here is on this rock of this confession of the truth and revelation of who Jesus is. That's what the church is built upon. Watch. The person and the work of Jesus as revealed here by the Father. Say Okay, I think I get that. Keep going. Then Jesus says something that sounds really peculiar. And he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if you're standing there and you're one of the disciples, you're having this Messiah talk about who Jesus is. Yes, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus starts talking about the gates of hell not prevailing. And you have to say, what do you mean by that? When well, that day, gates of hell was a metaphor for the place of death. It's a metaphor for death. Even there in Caesarea Philippi, there was a place known as Hades. It was the underworld. It was the sense of where the, the dead go. Jesus is saying, on this confession of who I am, I will build my church. And what's this. Death itself cannot prevail against my redemptive plan. Now, why in the world would Jesus introduce the reality here in all this talk of the Messiah of death? Hang with me keep going verse 20 then Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Messiah of the cross maybe Jesus are you telling us we shouldn't go tell everyone that you are the Messiah and it's in a sense right here that Jesus is saying hold on yes you're going to but you don't have a full understanding yet of the work of the Messiah now listen At this point the disciples have an understanding that he is the promised one he has come to redeem Israel but at this point they do not have an understanding that in God's redemptive economy death must precede life that suffering must precede glory that's God's redemptive plan Because of the heinous nature of our sin, in order to redeem mankind, the perfect Messiah, the perfect one must come, we must have a sin bearer, there's only one, his name is Jesus. Peter doesn't fully understand that, and I'll show you why, verse 21, he goes on, he says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests, and be killed. And the disciples don't fully get it. Jesus, you're the promised one. Je- Jesus, we know that. We say, what are you talking about this thing of death? Why do you have to die? They don't fully understand the nature of how heinous our sin is and how this ne- necessitates a redeemer, a savior. How do you know that? Verse 22, Peter doesn't get it. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Say, Lord, I don't know if you understand, but I don't understand a, a Messiah that comes and you say you're going to die. I don't get it. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Watch. In other words, any message that tries to bypass the cross or any message that tries to bypass the idea that death must precede life, Jesus says that's a message from Satan in God's economy because of the heinous nature of our sin the sin bearer the perfect one must die in order to redeem us and Jesus is saying to Peter and the disciples until you fully get that you're just going to go out and talk about the glory of Messiah but before glory there must be death but that death does not end in the grave that death will end in triumphant resurrection Verse 23, Peter turns to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. You're setting your mind on things of God, not the thing, you're not setting your mind on things of God, but the things of man. Human opinion will never lead us to who Jesus is or the nature of Jesus' redemptive work. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning. You wrap all that up, here's the message of the gospel that Jesus is holding out to these disciples. The Messiah is here. The King is here, yes. But in the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 15, he helps us and says this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day accordance to the Scriptures. He is declaring here, and Jesus is declaring, the Messiah has come, but the Messiah must die, but he will rise from the dead so that he can redeem fallen sinful man. And then Jesus takes it one final step that I want us to see, and this is what we're going to close on this morning. Human opinion, not going to reveal who Jesus is. God the Father in his full revelation reveals who Jesus is. Thirdly, every person must respond to the truth about Jesus. Jesus declares something here in these verses that you don't have the right to be neutral on Jesus. You can't live in the world of, well, I don't know, I'm not sure. Even this morning, the the reality of who Jesus is. Look what he says in verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, and I'm going to ask the team just to come on up and begin to play. Verse 24, Jesus says, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me. In other words, if anyone wants to come and be my disciple and be my follower, Jesus says, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said, following me begins with death, my death on the cross, yes, yes. and as you follow me in faith, a death to self, a death to self-righteousness and a death to self-sufficiency and a death to self-will and a death to depending on yourself because in this world, if you trust yourself, that will end up in your own destruction. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, his place of death, and follow. For whoever would save his life, verse 25, those who want to hold on to self, those who want to preserve their own life. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses my, his life for my sake will find it message of Jesus is this death precedes life he has died in the place of sinners like you and me he has risen from the dead to prove and demonstrate who he is that he can conquer death and then his call to us in light of who Jesus is the call is one of repentance Repentance from self, repentance and trusting in self, repentance and trusting in my own ability, trusting in my own good deeds, trusting in my own understanding, a death to self but then a faith in Christ and on the other side of death to self is life in Christ. Death precedes life but Jesus says it is in Him you will find life. So this morning I want to ask you to do something, I want to ask you just to bow your heads for just a minute to stand and sing in a moment before we do that I'm gonna try to pressure you I'm not gonna try to manipulate anyone but I want to ask you right there in your seat there are many in this room I know who are followers of Jesus you've been born again you've trusted Jesus Christ you've repented you've placed faith and you know him as Lord and Savior challenge for you this morning as you hear this text is to know many around you are believing lies about who Jesus is tell the truth share the message some of you are here this morning and maybe the first time you've ever realized you believe partial truths about Jesus maybe you've heard little bits and pieces but you've never heard the fullness of our brokenness in sin and rebellion his perfection as our sin bearer the promised one the son of the living God maybe this morning for the first time in your life you realize you need a savior if that's you this morning and that's the desire of your heart even right there where you're seated this morning maybe you cry out to him in prayer something like this Lord Jesus I need you I cannot save myself Because of my sin, I'm separated from you, but I realize you are my only sin bearer. Lord, I turn from self and I trust you. Jesus, I give my life to you. That's the desire of your heart. You prayed something like that. We'd love to speak with you in just a few moments. Pastor Daniel will say more about that in just a minute. Father, I want to thank you for this time. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the reality of the resurrection. Thank you that the sting of death is gone. Thank you that the promise of life is found in Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In the name of the risen Christ, we pray. Amen.